Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. The scripture reading this morning is from Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. I know your works. Whoops, let's go back to verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, I write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and the white garments, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you will give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. Lord, I pray for Jeremy as he... um, speaks to us today that we will be convicted in our hearts of areas where we are complacent and that we will become radically changed and want to live for you, that your that Christian life will just burst from us in a new and different way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you. It's always an honor to be able to share God's word, to proclaim it. Let me see if you can uh, finish uh, this phrase. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. Great job. That phrase is from the song... A Spoonful of Sugar, from the 1964 Disney film, Mary Poppins. It's a lesson in making otherwise mundane or daunting tasks more enjoyable. But the idea of the tune and the title for the song actually came from the songwriter's conversation that he had uh, with his son. And Jeff Sherman, he recalls this conversation that he has with his father in a CNN article, and Jeff Sherman, as a child, he told um, CNN that as a child, he was afraid. 
of getting shots. Like many children, and may, many of us are afraid or wary of getting shots, and he would often try to run away from the nurses that they would try to administer him the vaccine. So when he told his father one afternoon that he had received the recent oral polio vaccine at school that day, his father was surprised because his father had recalled that when he received the vaccine, he had gotten shots, and it would be a series of painful shots. And so he asked his son, son, didn't it hurt? Weren't you scared? And his son told him that, oh, yeah, all they did was they just placed a, a cube of sugar, and then you just ate it, and it went down smoothly. And if you were to go to your local grocery store, your local pharmacy, you were to go down to the medicine aisle, you have a plethora of options for you. But in many of those options, there are sweet flavors. There's, often they are very artificial tasting, that artificial grape, that artificial cherry, that whatever that pink color is. That sweetness helps make the medicine go down. In a similar way, when Jesus, he is speaking to us, when he's writing to the churches in Asia, in the book of Revelation, we see this constant pattern of Jesus giving sugar for the medicine, in that he not only gives a critique of the churches or where they are lacking, where they are weak, but he also, he begins with giving them praise of the good things that they have done, ways to be encouraged. And so as Jesus is writing through the Apostle John to these seven churches, he is speaking to us to hear, for us to hear him today. If we go to the next slide, we can see through the number of churches that we have been learning from, and he begins in Ephesus. So again, we're going to see this pattern of good and then bad, the, the sugar and then the medicine. To Ephesus, they had a strong doctrinal zeal. They believed what they believed. They were strong in what they believed about God but they had lost their love and compassion for others. To the church in Smyrna, they were persecuted for their faith. Yet in the face of these imperial pressures, they were spiritually strong and encouraged to suffer for the sake of Christ. To Pergamum, they also too were faithful in the midst of persecution, but they began to make compromises, shortcuts, and fell into believing into various false teachings. To this church in Thyatira, they loved and served others, but their theology and what they believed began to slip. They began to question the basic and foundational things in Christ. To the church in Sardis, there were only a few faithful saints, only a few number of believers who remained steadfast. For most of the church around them, they were spiritually dead. And to the church in Philadelphia that we heard from last week, they kept the word of God close to their hearts, yet they began to lose the strength 
their strength in, in fighting the good fight. And so the word that we have today here in Revelation 3 is the word to the church of Laodicea. And we're going to be hearing how God gives us his word in three points. We have blindness to health, loss of zeal, and opening the door. So in this letter, it begins like, all the, it begins like many of the other letters. It begins with a title for who Christ is. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He begins the letter by telling us that Christ, he is the true witness. He is the true Amen of God. What he says, you can believe and you can trust because all the promises that he has made in his word, he has proved to be faithful and true. Everything he tells us about God is right. And so he invites us to listen and to hear this word. And so there are a few things that stand out in this letter to Laodicea that is a little bit different from the other letters. Before, we noticed that we had that pattern of the sugar and the medicine, saying something positive about the church and then a critique. But here in this letter, there is no sugar. It's just straight medicine, bitter as it is. He just goes straight for it. He has nothing good to say, but only a critique. Another notable thing about this letter is that the city of Laodicea is very similar in many ways to our area in the DMV. They were a thriving city with many businesses. They were known, they were known for their soft and luxurious black wool that was coveted all around the region. It was a financially prosperous city. It was a hub of banking and finance. The city was also a medical focal point in the area. They had a famous medical school that attracted people from all over the area to get work on their eyes because they had a special eye salve or a special eye solution that would aid people who had trouble seeing. And the irony that comes in this letter is that as wonderful of a city that Laodicea was, as successful as they were, a place where you would go if you wanted to see, Jesus says that they are blind. Blind to how spiritually unhealthy they are, and he is showing them their own blind spots, that they have been complacent, that they are satisfied and self-reliant. They have become so accustomed to their wealth and the comforts of their life that they have not realized of the spiritual condition they find themselves in now. So in verse 17, he says, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus here, he is very pointed to them in telling them of what they truly are, like what they are in their hearts, what their, what their spiritual condition is. Jesus wants them to witness their condition 
similar to a medical checkup or any medical appointment. And we can be tempted to avoid them, to skip them, or kind of push it down the road. And why do we do that? We do that because we don't want to deal with what's really going on. We don't really want to really know what's wrong with us. We don't want to deal with if the diagnosis is bad, what do we do then? We'd rather not know. And so they say to, to Christ and they say to others, they proclaim that, oh, we're good. We're clothed. We're rich. We're wealthy. They say we are rich, but Jesus says, no, you are poor. They say we're prospering, we're successful, but he says, no, you are deteriorating. We're healthy. No, you're actually very sick, so sick that it makes Jesus sick too. He says in verse 15, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is literally saying that I will vomit you out. I will throw you up. I am so disgusted and sickened by your spiritual state. And you may think to yourself, okay, lukewarm, that's not the worst thing. People eat cold pizza, People drink lukewater all the time. What's so wrong about being lukewarm? When Jesus says that they are lukewarm, he's not describing them on a scale of cold and hot. And that in cold meaning bad and hot meaning good. Instead, he is speaking in terms of utility and usefulness. So he views hot and he views cold as being good, but he views lukewarm as being bad. And when we look at the geographical context of the city of Laodicea, it helps us to understand this cold and hot metaphor. Laodicea was closely connected to two other cities in the area, much like how D.C. connects Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. in the DMV. And the one thing that the city of Laodicea did not have was a close-by, nearby water supply. So what did they have to do? They had to import water from the north, from the city of Hierapolis. They had hot, medical hot springs. And then another option was that they could import water from the south, from the cold springs of Colossae, and they would bring this hot water and this cold water through the aqueducts. But the problem that they had was that the water would have to travel for miles through these aqueducts. And you can just imagine, all along that way, as that water is moving and trickling, it slowly and gradually loses its temperature, its giving quality, its positive quality. So by the time it arrives to Laodicea, it's picked up all these minerals and whatever else is in there, and it's lost all of its temperature and good qualities. And so it ends up being lukewarm, tempted, unusable, water. It was more like muddy water. And so when Jesus speaks to Laodicea and he says that you are lukewarm water, he is telling them and he is warning us that you are worthless. That it's not your riches, your wealth, or your health that are signs or indicators of how you are or what your true condition is. 
But he's saying that whatever once was hot is now cold, is, is now lukewarm. Whatever was cold is lukewarm as well. You are lukewarm, you are worthless. And so, friends, we would be wise to hear this message that Jesus is telling us. And the message he is telling us is that an apathetic faith is nauseating. It is sickening to God. When we are bored about God, when we are indifferent about him, it turns his stomach upside down. Because Jesus, he had sent his followers all over the world, all over the region, to be salt and light to the world, to be his disciples, to change the world around and to bring God's kingdom to them. But instead of changing the, their city, instead of changing their community, they themselves have been changed by the world. They have been changed by the city. And they have changed so much that when God looks at their works and when he looks at their lives, he basically sees no difference between a Laodicean who says they are a Christian and a non-Christian Laodicean. And how does this happen? How did they become so lukewarm and apathetic? Like many things in our lives, those things come in just gradual change. Choices we make every day. Sometimes they're big and important decisions. Sometimes they're small and seemingly insignificant. But as we slowly make these decisions, we slowly push out Christ out from the center of our lives in gradual steps, a little bit further and further away each time. Their passions and what they care for, what excites them, had shifted. And so Christ and the gospel had had no fundamental difference in their life. It had no effect on their life. The city of Laodicea, it was wealthy, well-off, self-sufficient, that when a major earthquake came and wreaked havoc and destroyed the city, and when it was time to rebuild the city, they actually refused aid from the empire. They rebuilt it themselves. They paid for it. They paid the bill. And it's not hard to imagine that type of wealth, that type of, not I'm good, we can do this ourselves. We can imagine how that type of attitude would have an impact on the church and the Christians there. And today we have the same danger of falling into the comforts of the success, wealth, and pleasures that we have the things that we work for, that we save for, we live for, hope for, cry for. In our pursuit to live a full life, we are left empty. In trying to live large and big, we actually become small. And in trying to be significant and important, we become insignificant. Friends, beware of this blinding effect that what this blinding effect of when we have all of these things, when we have much, 
we can be blind to how much we truly need Christ. In addition to their blindness, the Laodiceans, they had lost their zeal, they had lost their passion, they were nominal in their faith, meaning that they would, on the outside, in their words, they would say that they were Christian, but nothing in their life showed that they had any real faith. So Jesus speaks harshly with them, and he says to them, in verse 19, after this harsh word, he also gives a comforting one. He says in 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So even with this harsh word, even with this bitter medicine, this bitter critique, he also gives them an assurance of the love that he has for them. He disciplines them. He gives them this harsh word because he cares for them. It's similar to how kids, when your parents correct you or discipline you or give you rules and parameters or even giving you punishments, they do all of those things not because they're upset with you or want to be unkind to you, but they do all these things because they love you they care for how you are, who you are and the decisions that you're making and the kind of person you are becoming. In a similar way, this is how Jesus treats us, his children. And when he sees us, he says in verse 17, he says, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He sees how unhealthy we are and how much we are in need. In order to do what he wants, how he wants them to respond, he wants them to respond in a way that a healthy body would respond to any type of foreign bacteria or virus. If a body is healthy, when something foreign and dangerous is in your body, what does your body typically do? It usually reacts strongly, sometimes in a fever, to get whatever it is out there, or, whatever, or, to, or to, even, to even vomit, to get it out of your system. But if there is something foreign in your body, and your body does nothing and has no reaction, that's probably a sign that you are unhealthy. And so Jesus wants them to share in the sickness or the nausea, the, the nausea that comes when he sees our own apathy. And he wants us to also share in that. In a way, he wants us to be uh, sympathetic vomiters. When you see the complacency in our hearts, he doesn't want us to just sit there. He wants us to do something about it. He wants us to, for in our innermost being, for it to be turned upside down and to make real change. When he wants, them, he wants us to feel the, the, the sick the same way that he feels sick when he sees our lack of zeal. And when we consider this lack of zeal, we can think about, okay, as a Christian, do I want to be a zealous Christian? Do I want to be known by that? What are some of the kind of people that come to mind when you say, oh, that, that Christian, that believer, he, he is a zealot? 
we may be thinking of a type of people who have an attitude that they are better than you, that they are holier than you, people who are prideful, rude, judgmental, known for more for what they are against than what they are for. Who wants to be that type of Christian? But this is not the kind of zeal that Christ wants for us. He says at the verse of 19, he tells us to be zealous and to repent. This zeal that Christ wants for us is a deep desire that defines how we live and reveals what we love. A zeal that defines how we live and reveals what we love. And isn't it wonderful or isn't it refreshing when we come across someone who has zeal, who is excited about either the work that they do or maybe it's a hobby or just interest, but their zeal and passion for it is so uh, infectious that you want to learn more about it or maybe that you even want to participate in that. That zeal, that passion and desire that they have, it shapes who they are and how they live. And in a similar way, Christ wants our zeal for him to change how we, view, how, how we live our lives and how we view ourselves. If we are zealous and repent, he will make us healthy and holy again. He says in verse 18 that though you are poor, buy this gold refined by fire. Though you are naked, I will clothe you in white garments. Though you are blind, receive the eye salve to see clearly. But how are we to buy these things from Christ when we are so spiritually poor? We can receive all of these things from Christ because the only currency that he's looking for, the only currency that he accepts is the currency of our need for him. If we admit our need, if we depend on him, he says that he will restore us. In Isaiah 55, he says, the prophet Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Friends, Jesus invites us to return to him, to restore our relationship with him. In verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is a simple and profound picture of God's grace and our free will and the choice that we have before us this morning. There's a famous painting by the artist Holman Hunt that pictures what I just, this verse, it's titled The Light of the World, based on verse 20. And in this picture, they have a picture of Jesus, and he's standing by this door. 
and he is knocking on the door. But a small detail about that painting is that on this, on this door, there is no door handle, there's no, there's no latch, there's no way to open it from the outside. And the reason why that artist chose to include that detail is to show and to picture that when Jesus knocks at our door, it can only be opened from the inside. In that, when Christ promises to, when Christ promises to come to us, that it is up to us for us to answer, to listen. And not only to listen, but to hear him to run to him, to run to the door and to open to it and open it for him. And that when we open that door, that Christ, he will have fellowship with us. That he will sit at the table with us and have that intimacy that we were created for and that we need. So brothers and sisters, may we, when we hear his voice, may we run to that door. And we run to that door and may we open it, that we may be with him, that we may be restored and renewed to him and have true fellowship with him. Friends, would you join me in prayer? Father, let us have an ear to hear your spirit. Would you teach us that when we hear your voice, that when we run to you, Lord, that we know that you are there and that you will answer. Father, let us not wait till tomorrow, not wait to get things right, but we run and answer when we hear you knock on the door of our lives. Lord, for you see us as we truly are. You see our works, you see how we live, and you see our true spiritual need for you. And yet you see all the ways we foolishly rely on ourselves, we trust in our success, in our wealth, in our reputation. Lord, yet all of that is empty if we have no zeal for you, if we have no desire for you, if you have no real change and impact in our lives. Lord, help us hear this word this morning. Let us not be satisfied with where we are. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not be lukewarm warm. But Father, would you use your spirit, Lord, to instill in us, Lord, a burning passion for your name and for your glory. Lord, let us be refreshingly cool and refreshed and renewed in the relation, in relationship that we have in you, Lord, because of Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.